If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream it, download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Batmates, a podcast nobody asked for, but some people are listening to. My name is Becca, and you're the second man who killed me this week, but I've got seven lives left. And my name is Josh, and uh, I know I asked for Batman Adventures number 12 uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hasn't come in the mail yet, so I just want to make sure that it's uh, still coming. Maybe you can check the tracking number for me, make sure it's going to get to me. I did hear that the Postal Service was like slowing some stuff down, so it could be that. Okay, yeah. got it. You know what, just, just be patient. Um, so we want to start right off at the top this week um, addressing a controversy that has come to our attention. Um, we got some really, really impactful listener feedback. Um, and, you know, this is a listener who's really been with us since the beginning, has supported me for decades. And he was just pretty upset that his wife was mentioned twice during last podcast, um, but he was not mentioned. So to rectify that, he made an extremely generous donation to our podcast. And hopefully you will be able to hear that the audio quality is improved this time around, thanks to a generous donation uh, from the National Endowment from my dad. So thanks, Dad. This episode and I guess all future episodes are sponsored by you uh, until that Casper mattress money comes in. So we appreciate you and thanks. <laughs> Before we jump into news, uh, can I can I do something something new? Yeah. Oh, okay. A new thing. Time to come over into my corner. It's Josh's fact corner. <laughs> <laughs> that was completely ad lib. I loved it. Uh, so I wanted to talk about the ages of comics. We talk about this comic, uh, this, this podcast as a Silver Age podcast where we talk about Silver Age books, but we don't really, haven't gone into much of what that means. So I wanted to go over the different ages of comics. Um, there is, let's see here, one, two, three, four, maybe five. Uh, according to Wikipedia, there's only four. Uh, but modern comic historians, if you want to call them that, have outlined five. Hmm. We start with the Golden Age, uh, 1938, the first issue of Superman. Uh, and the Golden Age runs from 1938 to 19, 1956, which was the formation of the Comics Code was in 1954. And that's kicked off the Silver Age. In the Golden Age, you get these stories that have to do with the war, um, you see, have these stories that are a little more mature than the stuff that we're seeing in the Silver Age. The characters are killing, like Batman is killing people. Mm. Um, Superman is throwing cars that have people in them. Uh, and then it, it, when the comics code comes into fruition, they start cracking down on these types of things that can be depicted in comics. If you want to, like, a, a more in-depth uh, look at the comics code... And how it was founded and the reasons for its foundation. There's a documentary out there called Diagram for Delinquents. And it's all about the Senate hearings that had to do with comic books. I just want to say real fast, I think it's really interesting that this is like the only thing that I can think of that starts with its golden age. Like anything else that you think of that has a golden age, it doesn't It doesn't start with like, it, it starts like, ah, oh, this is the best it'll ever be. It was the golden age of it. Like Rome didn't start in its golden age. That was when it became like prosperous. Or True. like to do like an art analog, like theater's golden age, like Broadway's golden age wasn't until like the 50s with Rodgers and Hammerstein. Mm -hmm. And like that was, you know, decades and decades after the first like so-called, you know, book musical. Mm -hmm. um, weird though, but I do like the... Uh, comparison to like different different ages go go ahead with silver age yeah so silver age was 1956 to 1970 um the comics went from 12 cents to 15 cents in 1969 um the, the silver age is these wacky goofy stories that we're reading right now a lot of sci-fi stuff the comics book code which we're going to talk a little bit about later when we talk about catwoman this episode's uh villain uh they they have to shy away from certain things. Horror is one of them. 
Um, and then, so the end of the Silver Age comes when the, the comics become more expensive in 1969, and you start to get darker stories. In 1972, uh, Green Lantern gets exchanged over to a new set of writers, and they write him as a world-weary person. And then in 1973, you get the death of Gwen Stacy in the mm -hmm. Spider-Man comics. And that sort of kicks off your Bronze Age, which is from 1970 to 1984. Bronze Age was... Uh, Defined by a loosening of the comic book code in 1970, there were more uh, non-superhero books, more minority characters, uh, socially conscious stories. They cover topics like drugs and alcoholism. Uh, the X-Men get released during this period, uh, re-released during this period in 1975. Um, and then we have a move into uh, what's next is the Iron Age or the Dark Age. Or the modern age. Is the Bronze Age where you would see things like um, like Captain America and Falcon like going on the streets to like end gang violence? Yes. That kind of stuff? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've definitely heard about this era before where it was all about like, let's try to get to the root of the youth's problems through their heroes from the 50s. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, in, in keeping with the comics book code, it's still like this sort of... Uh, I don't want to say whitewash, but it's this, uh, like, we have to be the moral upstanding people. Mm. And so that was, the, the only way in which it got darker was sort of the things that it covered mm -hmm. got darker. Uh, but then we move into the, like I said, the Iron Age or the Dark Age or the Modern Age. There's three different names for it. The Iron Man Age. <laughs> <laughs> the, you get darker, grittier stories. This runs from 1985 to maybe 2010, maybe the present. Um, this is kicked off by The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, these mm. really, really dark stories. Little known stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the ones that get re-released in paperback, like, every year. Um, the, this was the rise of the anti-heroes, like Constantine, Wolverine, Daredevil, Venom, Spawn, Punisher. Mm. Uh, and, and this is also the area, era where we get more psychological depth to our villains, because at this point, uh, the comic book code is loosening up more and more and more. That's why we're able to get these horror stories that involve Constantine, supernatural things. Um, and you're also allowed to have these psychological villains because they're allowed to have motivations. Uh, they're not, they're no longer sort of, uh, pushed off to the side to be, they always have to be brought to justice and they can never be sympathetic. And if your hero doesn't want to wear pants because he's moved past humanity, he doesn't have to. <laughs> so thanks for that. Yeah. Um, so like I said, that, that, so that age is what some people consider the modern age, but there's a new age that it, people are debating calling the steel age, mm, which I... Not rebirth? No. I mean, you could call it like the modern, modern age, because the modern age can't extend on forever. So Is we it have the John Steele age. <laughs> no, John Henry. John Henry is Steele. John Henry. This isn't a Irons. Superman podcast. I don't need to know who the characters are. <laughs> well, but it's interesting that you bring up Death of Superman because that's okay. the exact type of like sort of needlessly gritty story that defines the Iron Age, at least the tail end of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so they call this new age, or they're debating calling this new age, the Steel Age. Uh, because it's, uh, iron, the Iron Age was defined by reboots and retools, and this age is defined by taking the grittiness of the previous age and reforging it. So in the same way that you take iron and refine it into steel, okay. it's these reboots that take the grittier things from the, uh, from the Iron Age and rework them, retool them for a newer audience and for them to be a little lighter. Um, I like it. This goes from 2011 to present. Uh, it's expected to go another 10 years-ish. Um, this, this was uh, defined, the beginning of it, the 2011 comes because DC no longer used the comics book code in 2011. They switched to their own rating system. Uh, that's also when they launched the New 52. And then in 2015 and 2016, Marvel released their Secret Wars and Marvel Now. Um, lines, mm -hmm. which were updates, reboots of, of their heroes, adding in more minority characters, telling sort of different stories than the superheroes that they had been doing. I love that. 
I love that comics is making room for, you know, an evolving audience and an evolving world. I think it's so cool that it, like, you know, updates and changes itself and doesn't just stay stagnant. Yeah, it needs to suit its reader base, you mm-hmm. know, and, and back in the 60s, that was children. And that's why it was OK to have the comics book code and sort of shoehorn this this, uh, yeah. ni- you know, nice, again, whitewashed image. And, and it kind of the medium grows up as the people who read it grow up. But there's also new people that need to be brought in. So mm-hmm. you need to write new and different stories. After all, it's all about the money. <laughs> that's that is the bottom line. Okay. Well, that was a wonderful first edition of Josh's Facts Corner with Josh. <laughs> Loved it. Um, all right, cool. Well, we will move on then to some wonderful news. And then later we will be getting uh, deeper into Bat- mm, Catwoman, Selena Kyle. Uh, and we will talk a little bit about her and one of her first Silver Age appearances in the Batman comics, um, and that is going to be Batman issue 197. Go ahead, go out and buy it now and bring it up on your e-reader. <laughs> get it up on your e-reader, go to the DC app. Uh, what did we just get? The one with, uh, the one that we watched Young Justice on? What's that service called? DC, uh, DC Universe? DC Universe. You can get that. You can watch all the animated shows, and you can read pretty much every comic, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go out and it's grab like that. It's like eight bucks a month subscription. But definitely worth it. Young Justice, pretty good show. Uh, so we got some news. Uh, really just one piece of news we wanted to highlight this week. Um, you know, not that we want you to stop listening to us and listen to a different Batman podcast, but there is a Batman audio drama coming. They don't exactly know when. It's just been announced. Um, it's called Batman Unburied, and it was created by David S. Goyer, who is a primarily a screenwriter in Hollywood. Uh, he wrote Batman Begins, as well as Batman v Superman and Man of Steel. And he has story credits on uh, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. So, you know, definitely has a lot of ties to the modern Batman universe. Um, so it's supposed to be a narrative podcast that's going to be released on Spotify, and it really plays into the really more nightmish, nightmarish members of the rogues gallery. So wild speculation time, nightmarish members of the rogues gallery. And with the title Batman Unburied, I think we're getting a Solomon Grundy story. Oh, yeah. Either Solomon Grundy or potentially Rachel Ghoul could be thrown in there. He's, I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't call, call him, him nightmarish. nightmarish. He does manipulate death. In a way. Um, but Unburied definitely makes me think we're getting some zombie yeah, Solomon Grundy. For sure. Um, I'm trying to think of other nightmarish. I mean, Mad Hatter himself is pretty nightmarish. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, his whole, uh, the fact that he can mind control you and also he can send you into a nightmare if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scarecrow could be a nightmarish villain. Yeah. Like, I feel like we've seen Mad Hatter and Scarecrow be, like, scary. I feel like Solomon Grundy is a character who, like, not a lot of people know that well, especially if you haven't played the Arkham games. You might not know too much about him. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really cool to put him in the spotlight, especially because he's, like, you know, he's got the connection to, like, the old, like, saying, a little nursery rhyme that's super creepy, and <laughs> he's just a, he's a creepy guy, and I like him. So do we think that it's going to be, because he's done Man of Steel and... Uh, and and what was the other one you said? Uh, oh, the Dark Batman Knight v Superman. The Dark Knight he, trilogy. He, yeah. he had ties to that. Do he we wrote think, Batman Begins. Do we think it's going to be uh, like a more grounded version of Batman? Then I would say probably so. I mean, everything that we've seen from him, he definitely places Bruce in this. Uh, universe where he's like the billionaire playboy but he definitely has a lot on his mind all the time he can't really separate the dual lives that he lives and uh it does seem to bring him down 24 <laughs> 7 so i don't think we're getting a really like upbeat batman in this podcast i didn't think upbeat i i meant uh like do we think we're gonna have a grounded reality because i mean solomon grundy is kind of supernatural yeah and and the nolan films are very strictly like grounded Grounded in reality, this is a guy that could exist, maybe, possibly. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll rework him to be some kind of, like, you know, villain who just, like, replaces his organs every time one of them fails and, like, something creepy like that. Or, or maybe some kind of, like, Frankenstein story where he's, like, a, like a reanimated Frankenstein's monster. With, mm, like know, stem cell, like, you know, mm-hmm. soft 
science fiction. Yeah. I'm thinking also, like, the title, Batman Unburied, I'm hoping that, you know, it'll start out with Batman just dying. And then through whatever work of the Black villains, Lanterns or something. Yeah, through whatever work of the villains occurs, he'll get reanimated somehow, and he'll have to deal with that. Mm. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. Tale. So no plot details have been released. This is all wild speculation. Do but, we do do we know how many episodes there's going to be? No, really, nothing's been revealed um, except for the fact that it's coming and it'll be on Spotify and it was created by David S. Goyer. Um, I'm really hopeful for like a 40s style radio drama. I would really love to see something like that. I really like radio dramas. I, I listened to one that ran for four or five seasons called We're Alive. I think podcasts have a, a great ability to deliver that, mm-hmm. like a, a audio soundscape that really draws you into the story. Yeah. And of course, Night Vale is like the most popular podcast of all time. That's true. Yeah. So we could see that. Could be really cool to look out for that. That's the only news we had this week. It's kind of a slow news week in uh, Batman news, at least. Uh, So we're going to move on to our rogues roundup of Catwoman, also known as the devilish Selena Kyle. Uh, so she was inspired by the actresses Jean Harlow and Hedy Lamarr, uh, and she was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Uh, I also feel like it's really easy for writers to draw inspiration from the character of Irene Adler from the Sherlock Holmes universe. Are you familiar with Irene Adler? A little bit. So Irene Adler is a character who shows up in one Sherlock Holmes story. She basically... Uh, best Sherlock in a battle of wits. She manages to outsmart him and fool him in a way that he didn't expect. And he becomes obsessed with her forever as the woman who (laughs) who bested him. So I always love when that relationship with Batman and Catwoman is that she's like, you know, she she manages to, you know, escape with a kiss. And she's like, still gets like a little bag of diamonds. She's like, I'll be good next time. (laughs) So I've always loved when the relationship is kind of like that. Um... And I couldn't find any like direct inspiration for Irene Adler being an influence. Um, but I'm I sure that find... throughout the comics canon, somebody mm-hmm. has you know looked at that Sherlock Holmes story and drawn inspiration. Yeah. I mean, he's a detective. He's a detective. She's a lady. She's a lady. It writes <laughs> itself. Uh, for some reason, uh, Bob Kane also mentioned that uh, he wanted her to be a Catwoman because he thought of cats as the opposite of bats. Um, I couldn't find a direct quote for that, but I did find a really interesting quote where he very much reminds me of, uh, Troy Barnes from Community. Oh, is it the, the quote about women being cats Women being and, very cat-like. Yeah, and men be, yeah, yeah, that's actually in that 14 Miles to Gotham book, mm-hmm. actually. I, yeah. I wanted to read the quote really quick. Um, he said, I felt that women were feline creatures and men were more like dogs. While dogs are faithful and friendly, cats are cool, detached, and unreliable. I felt much warmer with dogs around me. Cats are as hard to understand as women are. Men feel more sure of themselves with a male friend than a woman. You always need to keep a woman at arm's length. We don't want anyone taking over our souls, and women have a habit of doing that. So there's a love-resentment thing with women. I guess women will feel that I'm being chauvinistic to speak this way, but I do feel like I've had better relationships with male friends than women. With women, once the romance is over, somehow they never remain my friends. <laughs> oh, gee, so, I wonder why. So, you know, Bob Kane may have helped create the world's greatest detective, but... Woof. Woof. <laughs> Big oof there, Bob. Love ya. Uh, so the golden age Selena has a weird, like, backstory detail. Um, she at one point got, gets hit on the head with some rubble in the Batcave and admits to Batman that she was a flight attendant who had lost her memories following a plane crash. So she, like, does that thing where, like, she hits her head again and she's like, oh my god, I had amnesia and now I realize. Now I don't have it anymore. (laughs) Um, she turned to a life of crime after this plane crash that gave her amnesia. Um, but later she admitted that she actually made all that up because she <laughs> just didn't want to, she wanted to get out of the life and she thought that, that was a way. So moral of the story, if you get a concussion and you've been doing bad things, just say that you now don't have amnesia anymore and you're now a good person. Could work for you. <laughs> So uh, she actually was largely absent. She was completely absent from the Batman comics from uh, the years of 1954 to 1966 due to the restrictions with the Comics Code Authority. Uh, One thing that I found in there that I think really just relates to like why she was removed completely rather than downplayed uh, was that it forbid passion or romantic interest uh, shall never be treated in such a way as to stimulate the lower and baser, baser emotions. 
So, uh, you know, I guess they didn't... Don't be too sexy is basically too what sexy. it was saying. Because there were there were a lot of comics that were coming out during the, the Golden Age that were aimed at the soldiers that were coming back home from World War II, and they were salacious. They mm-hmm. were sexy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was part of the reason why they were like, comics are causing the moral downfall of the, this nation, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that type of thing. I don't know. Do you think they did that because, like... They wanted the soldiers who were coming from from war to, like, focus on, you know, having children and, like, rebuilding the nation. And they wouldn't be able to do that if they were... I think it was just moral outrage, the similar... Spending time with Catwoman. (laughs) I think it was just moral outrage similar to the way that you get moral outrage with any any medium. Mm -hmm. You know, the way that we had... I mean, all of these end with Senate hearings. The the record industry needed to self-regulate because they, they were... causing the moral degradation of America. Mm -hmm. The video game industry needed to have Senate hearing. Yeah, exactly. All these things. And and it always ends up with an industry regulated rather than a government regulated thing because it's just easier. And honestly, if the government were to start regulating stuff like that, it would be a huge violation of free speech. Yeah. I mean, I know that when I want to know what's moral and good, I ask a senator. (laughs) So that being said... Uh, she came back uh, in some Silver Age comics, one of which we'll read today. Uh, I'm really excited about that, but I really quickly wanted to talk about some different portrayals of her throughout media. Of course, we always mention the 1960s Batman show, where she was played by two separate actresses, uh, Julie Newmar, who was the like, you know, Catwoman in season one and season two. In season one, she and Batman were like basically enemies that she was just like a villain and then in season two there was more of like a romance element to it so they started like kind of flirting kind of dating um and season three julie newmar went off to film a movie so they recast eartha kit as the character and once eartha kit came into the role as catwoman the romance of batman and catwoman was completely dropped uh due to uh interracial relationships being a taboo on television i found it really interesting season three aired from september of 1967 to March of 1968. That was when Eartha Kitt played Catwoman. And the very first interracial kiss on television, the one that happened between Captain Kirk and Ahura on Star Trek, was in November of 1968. So, like, several months later. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if the producers and the creators of that show had maybe, you know, wanted to do something that was, you know, very cutting edge at the time, we would be, you know, praising them for doing that, but yeah. instead Star Trek beat them to it and I I don't that know, for them. I don't know which network Star Trek was airing on at the time, but I couldn't see ABC of the time doing that. Let's check. Okay, one Google search later, and the answer is... It was NBC. And uh, I just want to make a quick correction, because we wouldn't be a nerdy podcast without pedantic corrections. Um, The kiss between Ohura and Kirk was the first kiss on American television between a white person and a black person. Previously, there had been... um, a interracial kiss between a white person and a black person on British television, and there were interracial kisses between a white person and an Asian person on American television. So, super important distinction to make. All really important steps in our representation of interracial relationships on television, which is cool. Uh, so, yeah, I find that really interesting that, you know, with the casting of Eartha Kitt, they were just like, ah, eh, the romance is gone, now she can just be a villain. Which I personally feel probably played into, like, why people remember her so much, because she was just so, like, dastardly and bad and able to just have, like, so much fun and chew the scenery with the best of them. So that's a really, really cool portrayal that I know a lot of people absolutely love. And who played her in the movie? Which one? The, the first Batman 66 movie. Was it Julie Newmar? It was actually Lee Merriweather who played her in the movie. So, so there was three. Three Catwomans. I gave you three fingers and you ignored me. I ignored you because uh, you didn't do the research for this part. I did. <laughs> so I knew there was three. Talking about Catwomen in movies, we have a couple of their portrayals. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, of course, from the Batman Returns movie, who I feel probably most people love just as much as they love you know, the penguin portrayal that we talked about last last episode. Oh, yeah. That movie is so stacked with, like, just so many fantastic power, really. actors and characters. And you should, if you haven't watched Batman Returns, or even, like, if you just haven't watched it this year, you should 
I mean, the first movie had star power, too, with Jack Nicholson. We're not talking about that. Pause this podcast and watch Batman Returns. Uh, Isn't it like, it's like a Christmas-centric movie? A little bit. It takes place in the winter. I don't think they actually have any specific Christmas things going on. Close enough. Watch it now. It's great. (laughs) Love Batman Returns. Um, So Michelle Pfeiffer, she plays It's actually election-themed, because the Penguin is running for mayor. Yes. Watch... The watch Batman Returns, and then if you haven't, request your mail in ballot and go vote. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you, Joshua. I was going to say that for the end of the podcast, but you know what? It's thematic now. Request your mail in ballot, go vote, go to vote.org. Vote for uh, Oswald Cobblepot. Vote for Oswald Cobblepot and uh, vote for Michelle Pfeiffer. No, vote for who you think is going to be best for the country and vote for a good person. <laughs> love that. Um, so I love Michelle Pfeiffer's portrayal because I like that it goes into like an origin story. And I feel like my whole life has, I definitely, Michelle Pfeiffer is the first Catwoman I saw as a child. Mm. My whole life, I've just always sort of assumed it was canon that like, oh yeah, Catwoman was just like, fell out of a window and then was eaten by cats. And then suddenly she was, she was a superhero, which makes no sense. No. Not, not even a little bit. But I do love it, and I feel like if I had a preferred way of going, that would be it. I would love to be consumed by little meowing babies. And then wake up with superpowers, even if I was a zombie woman. She doesn't have superpowers, though. She just She can suddenly do gymnastics and fight. Yeah, that's superpowers. Nobody can do that. Uh, Halle Berry also played Catwoman. In a critically panned movie. In a critically panned movie that had really no connection to the Batman universe. Or any other portrayals of was it Catwoman supposed to tie into the Nolan films? Ever? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. She got, her name wasn't Selena Kyle in that movie, um, and it really didn't have anything to do with Batman at all. Except she does fall off her ledge. Uh, can't remember if she gets eaten alive by cats. Don't think I've actually seen the movie. Hmm. But she did say that her performance was largely inspired by Arthur Kidd. So oh. the legacy continues. Look at that. Uh, And then also in more recent movies, we have Anne Hathaway playing the character in the Nolan film, uh, Dark Knight Rises. What did you think of that role? Uh, Her portrayal. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It wasn't my favorite. I didn't like that movie at all. Yeah. So it's hard to remember any specific piece of it that I didn't like. It's weird that they kind of gave Bruce two love interests. They did, yeah. Tali is in that movie too. And and he sleeps with Talia. He does. And she does not get pregnant. I was kind of hoping that in the end she would, like, have a little baby Damien, but that's too much continuity for the the Nolan films to actually draw from. No, uh, no, now I'm I'm starting to remember more as we talk about it, but the fact that she, uh, like, ends up with him in the, in the, the cafe at the end. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I just, I didn't see her and him as being the, like, settled down domestic types. Well, she's, in that movie, she's got that whole thing where she's, like, you know, a champion of the people. I feel like it's very much inspired by, like, the Selena we've seen in the comics the past couple of decades, where she, like, comes from nothing. She's more of a Robin Hood character. She kind of, like, steals from the rich and, like, you know, helps out at the homeless shelter and takes in street kids every now and then and helps animals but also like just likes like shiny things she's <laughs> i've always felt that selena is like the most uh like perfect example of like a chaotic neutral person villain, oh yeah where she's like yeah i'll like do bad stuff but like i'll do some good stuff sometimes yeah, I, mean, I just do whatever serves me when we were discussing this episode i was trying to figure out a good word to describe what she is and i was going to call her an anti-hero but that doesn't really fit cuz she's not really a hero she's still a villain yeah. she still does crimes and she doesn't really have great moral standing for most of them most of the time mm-hmm. um does she have to be a hero or a villain can't she just be hot <laughs> Must there be a binary? <laughs> uh, so in the upcoming movie, we've got Zoe Kravitz playing Catwoman. I'm really excited with how stacked this movie is with like villains and characters and all kinds of things. It'll be interesting to see if they can use them well. Because mm-hmm. you run the risk of uh, doing a Batman Forever or a Batman and Robin where you have too many villain, too many plot line threads. More Batman and Robin than Batman Forever, but too many plot threads going on all at once. Mm-hmm. And too many villains thrown into the mix where you don't really get to focus on any of them enough to get like 
the essence of their character. Yeah. What they should do is, um, I think it's it's best done in The Dark Knight, where, like, uh, you know, Joker and Two-Face have separate storylines completely. Of course, they, like, interact in different ways, mm-hmm. especially before Two-Face um, actually becomes Two-Face. Uh, but like you know, they're they're doing their own things. They're focused on their own things. And in the scenes where they do intersect, like that scene in the hospital, you just get like perfect movie magic. Yeah, I'd prefer that rather than like what I'm picturing from like Batman and Robin, where it's like Freeze and Poison Ivy and whoever Bane's else is in that movie, just like sitting in a room, like cackling, being like, "Yeah, we're gonna draw Batman into our trap, and then we'll all attack him at once. It's gonna be great." I don't want that. I want more of the intersecting. You get you know the character development development in beats throughout the first act and mm-hmm. then you can have them sort of intertwine yeah. together have them influence each other don't have them like team up that's just yeah that's boring even when i see it in comics when they just like go to like a, a room and it's like all the villains sitting together being like we're gonna do this big evil thing it's like i don't care mm-hmm. i don't care about your anti the only equation. time that i can think of that where it was interesting was not that they were teaming up but uh in the The comics where Gotham got hit by an earthquake and the villains sort of divvied up Gotham into districts and they all had their own districts. That happens in an extent in the Arkham City game Mm -hmm. where they sort of have their own corners of the city that they like control. And I think that was a pretty neat storytelling technique because you still, it's not really like a gang war, but they they have their own turf and they're, they're all working, they're not working together, but they are working lockstep. Or like in Almost Got Him where they're just sort of like one-upping each other in their stories and being Mm -hmm. like, here's the time that I almost beat Batman. Here's the time I almost beat Batman. Uh, So yeah, we're still excited for that movie, but cautious. Skeptically cautious. Skeptically excited. So for Selena's superpowers, uh, like we said, she doesn't have any. Uh, She really only ever fights, well, with a bunch of different things, but her most famous weapon and accessory is her cat o' nine tails. And the Um, caltrops, I would say. And the caltrops. Yeah, the Cat of Nine Tails definitely makes a huge appearance in the comic that we're about to read. Um, and yeah, she's always got those puns. They're almost always puns with just the word, words that start with C-A-T. It's not like uh, Robin when he's got puns for every single word and object in the room. Hers are just just cats. Just whatever relates to cats. She, just, she stays on brand. And usually the word cat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So without further ado, let's move into the comic. Again, this is Batman issue 197. This was edited by Julius Schwartz. The covers were done by Carmine Infantino and Mike Esposito. The writer was Gardner Fox. The penciler was Frank Springer. The inker was Sid Green. And the letterer was Iris Schnapp. Um, I did want to point out that uh, this is Catwoman's, like we said, Catwoman's first appearance in the Batman comic since her disappearance from the uh golden age uh this is her fourth appearance since the golden age her first appearance was in lois lane number 70 um where she tries to kill the penguin uh and that came out in i want to say i think it was december of 1966 Mm -hmm. and uh she actually showed up in the tv show in season one of the television show before that, in March of 66. Mm-hmm. So she was seen on television uh, after her long hiatus in the comics before she returned to the comics. Which probably had something to do with her being, being brought in back into the comics. Do you think the way she's drawn here, she looks like Julie Newmar? Uh, I guess a little bit. What do you think? Um, there's definitely influences. Uh, her hair color is slightly darker in this comic. But she does have that like necklace and belt that she wore, in and the, the shape show. of the of the the mask is similar as well. Yeah, so yeah, it's a comic starring Julie Newmar. Love it. <laughs> so the cover actually gives us a little hint of like what's to come, as it always does. But then it continues into like uh, like a there's like a cover underneath it. I guess that might have been an alternate cover uh, where she kind of starts monologuing at Batman about like what's going to happen. And she mentions that, you know, she needs him to choose whether she's going to be a bride or a burglar. So that tells you a little bit about the. And the other thing to mention is, so I I mentioned that she was in Lois Lane. She tried to kill the penguin. Uh, She, her appearance before this was a cameo in a detective comics, which uh, the DC 
comics sort of have through lines between their Detective Comics line and the Superman comics and the Batman comics and a lot of the stuff that they run at the same time. So they want you to buy all the books so you can follow the storyline throughout the different books. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Batgirl's sort of uh, trying to steal Batman away was the comic before this and now this comic has something to do with bat or catwoman trying to steal batman away mm-hmm. we will make mistakes between batgirl and catwoman during this episode just uh get used to it it's and very hard to say bat and cat and follow <laughs> it by a female <laughs> pronoun yes um so make sure you correct us in our apple reviews uh, and as long as you leave us five stars you can give us as many corrections as you want we appreciate it so uh, we're on Google Podcasts now too. We are on Google Podcasts, and uh, we thank everybody who's listened so far. So the dynamic trio is trapped by Catwoman, but then we immediately back up to what happened beforehand, and we see this beautiful kitty car that I would love nothing more than to have. So it's got a cat face with and, claws. Yeah, with with front paws and claws. And then in the next panel, we get to see that it has whiskers, which are antenna. Mm. And it says that they they find crime or they seek out crime. Yeah. They're attuned to criminal activity, which my first question is, how? Police scanners? That's what I thought, but it doesn't look like she's listening to a police scanner. It mm-hmm. looks like it's just vibrating. <laughs> they like uh, like divining rods yeah, but exactly. for crime. But for crime, yeah. I love it. Well, we'll find out later how she knows exactly where the crime is happening. That's true. So, to be honest, they're probably just for fun. Yeah, they're probably just, um, uh, what's the word? Cosmetic. Uh, aesthetic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she's being good. We notice that she's actually fighting criminals. She's not doing crimes herself. Uh, but we do learn that she is only doing it so that she can be better than Batgirl, mm-hmm. which I found to be really regressive. Yeah, it's not exactly a great feminist story. No, this is not throw your feminist notions out the window. We are going straight into the mid-60s <laughs> exactly. with the sexual politics of the time. <laughs> so just uh, just sit with that. Uh, I did have a question before we we do move on. You were talking about her appearance. I had a question about her costume. Mm -hmm. Are those supposed to be sequins? She has this, to to describe to the listeners, this sort of like fish scale look. She looks like a lizard. (laughs) She has this sort of fish scale look to her costume. Mm -hmm. What what is it supposed to be? It it could be sequins. Um, You know that pillow that we have where you run your hand along the one side (laughs) and it changes color? I feel like... I feel like it should do that. No, it's definitely not her like sleek black cat suit that so many people know her for. Or her purple suit that was shown in the Golden Age, mm-hmm. which was sort of flowy and very leggy. If yeah. you find a picture of it, it shows off a lot of upper thigh. Yes. No, this one is green because she has described herself now as the now look Catwoman. Which doesn't that be new look? Well, it's now look Catwoman. Hmm. Unless that's a typo from Irish Nap. Um, so she's a now-look Catwoman, possibly wearing sequins, bright green. I've never seen a green cat, have you? No. That, yeah, that was something else I was going to say, is that I've never seen any green cats, so yeah. I don't know how this is cat-themed. I've seen, I think, maybe two green cats. Uh, one of them was, it had gotten into, like, some paint, and it was, like, <laughs> licking itself, and so that was how it, like, got all green. So that on the internet. And the other one was a cat that um, is basically just like a slight complication. It was like a brand new newborn cat. It was a slight complication when it was born. Just like some like birthing fluid got all over it. So that turned to green. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen that before. But it did wash away. So uh, I don't think she's being that specific. Uh, maybe she's just... I think it just pops off the page and that's why they did it. It just pops. It's green. It's great. She's now look. <laughs> uh, so the... Cat of Ninetales makes its first appearance in this first fight with these guys who she encounters. Which I do want to to clarify to the listeners that this is not a normal Cat of Ninetales. A Cat of Ninetales is is like a flogging device, and it usually doesn't... She flogs. It doesn't have... Like, this is essentially a multi-pronged whip. Mm-hmm. These things, this is like at least six foot, probably eight or nine feet in length, which would be a nightmare to like aim and use. Mm-hmm. She's got some accuracy with it because the first thing she does after like whipping them into submission is try to murder them with a chandelier. 
She like whips it up into the chandelier and then pulls it down, which will kill a man. I don't know if you have seen Phantom of the Opera. Um, but she very much tries to trap them. She's hurting them. She's doing some amazing things to these criminals. She's a real hero. And she completely puts them in her, in the, in their place and ties them to the back of her car. Also not safe. Um, she just sort of throws them on the back of the car too. There's, there's no like seats or anything back there. There's one guy whose leg is hanging off the side. Yeah. He's sprawled across the tail of her cat car. Um, which she immediately uses to T-bone the the dynamic duo um, and mock them for not having caught any criminals yet that night when she's already taken down all the Parker brothers. Exactly. I was going to say. Not those ones. Not, not the Monopoly Parker brothers. Uh, just a crime syndicate that has named themselves after the people who made Risk and uh, Clue. Yeah. Love it. So she tells the boys that she is now look Catwoman again. Uh, and Dick rudely brings up Gotham's extraordinarily high recidivism rate and tells her that once a criminal, always a criminal, because he does not believe in reformation for anyone. Uh, And she keeps mentioning Batgirl throughout this interaction. She keeps saying that she's better than Batgirl. She'd be better for Batman than Batgirl. She's clearly obsessed with being seen as better than Batgirl. Mm -hmm. Um, But Dick just can't figure out what she's on about. He's like, (laughs) why does she keep mentioning Batgirl and why she'd be better? It's like... Dick, she's into Batman. Like, get a clue. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't get it. Do you think that might have something to do with, like, the comics code not being able to, like, portray romantic relationships? It's possible. I mean, like I said, the comic before this is her, uh, it's like the cover of it is saying something like, oh, she's going to break up the dynamic duo. Uh, I haven't read it, so I don't know, but I would assume that it might have something to do with like Robin getting jealous that Batgirl is taking away Batman's attention. Mm. And it seems like Catwoman is the same issue here. (laughs) Mm. Hot question. Hot take question. Okay. Is Batgirl better? And of course, okay, start by saying that Batgirl is great on her own. She's an awesome character in her own right, no matter what. Uh But is she cuter with Bruce or is she cuter with Dick? (laughs) She's better with uh, Dick, I think. Yeah, I guess. I don't think she's cute with Bruce. I think it's a weird power dynamic. He's friends with your dad. It's like, ew. Yeah. (laughs) I hate it. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's settled. That's settled policy then. This (laughs) this podcast ships uh, Dick and Barbara. Love it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it was so weird when they did it in the Killing Joke movie and when they did it in the animated series <clears throat> and batman batman beyond, beyond. Yeah. yeah oh well uh so we also find out later the batmobile has detection gear i think this one probably just is a police scanner <laughs> i would assume but i like that their cars have similar similar outfits crime detectors the crime detector um they run into a silk factory where there's a where there's a robbery happening a silk handkerchief factory specifically specifically which makes me wonder gotham has a lot of poverty and crime for a town with so much industry there is a factory for literally everything how are the jobs not just like absolutely booming yeah and and it's uh it's silk factory limited a very creative name for a a silk manufacturer Mm mm-hmm I don't know. I'm just confused as to why Gotham has so many poor people when there's obviously so many jobs. Yeah. I just feel like, what? I mean, are they outsourcing them? I mean, it doesn't seem like they're poor. They just like crime. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't. They're get... well dressed criminals. I feel like every single one of these criminals that we see in these comics is dressed in like a suit and tie and a, and a fedora. I feel like that's just kind of a sign of the times, though. I mean, you ever see pictures of Bonnie and Clyde? Like, they were dirt poor when mm. they robbed banks because of it. I don't think I don't think anyone likes doing crime. I th- <laughs> this could get into a very deep philosophical conversation, but I feel like people do crime out of necessity because it's the only outlet that they have. Um, at least when they're not like criminally insane, doing themed crimes, as we only really see in comics. That's not a real thing, <laughs> anyway. So uh, they run in and Robin says this very, very concerning thing that nabbing crooks is a man's work. Um, I didn't like that. And I don't think he deserves Barbara. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. Again, like you said, we're dealing with the social politics of the sixties. I know. I know. Uh, 
their chauvinism, in fact, drives their anger because they are so angry that Catwoman did such a good job last night. They, she showed them up. She showed them up. So they beat up these criminals double hard. Yeah. But they, there's only two guys. And then Robin complains uh, that there isn't enough guys for them to fight, mm-hmm. which was which jinxed them, of course. Yeah. Luckily, uh, so four heavies come out of the next room and fight them. Uh, the thugs do attack in waves. Looks like the Arkham games are actually pretty true to life. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> they comic canon, yeah. They wait until you finish the wave before them before bringing out the heavies. After this, Bane's gonna come out with Venom. Then you gotta fight him, and it's like a whole cutscene, and they get to oh do quick goodness. time events. And it's a boss. Um, so, oh, the other thing about the so the so the heavies start beating up Batman. And then Robin knocks them off balance Mm -hmm. by hitting them with a silk handkerchief? No, so it's a bolt of silk. So you've probably never, like, actually rifled through the stuff they have at, like, Joanne Joanne Fabrics Fabrics or, like, AC Moore. Mm -hmm. Um, But when silk and fabric is shipped, it comes on, like, this is probably a wood bolt at AC Moore or, like, Joanne Fabrics. They have it on, like, cardboard or plastic. But, yeah, I also love that he tries to act tough while throwing around silk. (laughs) He has like a little quip and he says, here I come, like a bolt from the blue, a bolt of silk that is. Like you can see it's like solid inside there. Oh, it's okay. either like metal or wood. He threw like something that's like 60 pounds at a man's head. Okay. Okay. So yes, he didn't just throw like a bunch of silk at him, but still maybe in the bottom 10 threat, most threatening weapons of all time <laughs> ever. Of yeah. Great. Uh, what else do we have here? Batman starts narrating his punches, which I thought was weird. Comic heroes used to narrate their attacks more, and it kind of shows your hands to the criminal with Mm. him, like, you know, punching, saying, like, oh, here's a solid left hook and a right uppercut. Couldn't the guy just dodge it? I also feel like if you're... Talking while you're punching? Talking while you're punching. That's difficult. Difficult to multitask. Definitely. Uh, the men turn some guns on the boys, and then... Catwoman runs in and saves the day with her cat of nine tails that's got bombs on the end of it. Like cherry bombs? Yeah. Because it doesn't like hurt them or anything. It just rattles them and makes their ears ring. She does a lot of like auditory attacks in this comic. That's true. That's interesting. Is that because cats have good hearing or because they're noisy, noisy boys (laughs) and girls? (laughs) Who don't know how to be quiet. I don't know. A commentary, perhaps. Uh, So Catwoman, once she knocks out the ones that Robin's fighting, she blows some kind of like powder chemical compound onto them uh, that only makes the bad guys pass out. Which is like, how? Robin even comments like, how did that not work on me? And she's like, oh, silly boy. It only works on crooks. But as we'll find out later... That does kind of make sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, making connections to the, to the end of the comic, but I won't spoil it because you guys are reading along. <laughs> so she tells Batman that she's better than Batgirl in every way. Um, and Robin- Oh, oh, before uh, before we keep talking about that, she uses a, a, a catarang yeah, to, de- to defeat these criminals. Oh, look which, at it. It's got little outstretched arms. Which is uh, a green, vaguely cat-shaped banana. That's <laughs> <laughs> cute. It looks like a long cat. It's a green long cat. And she- <laughs> it's adorable. It's banana-shaped, but it also is sort of cat-shaped. Look at that. I want one. <laughs> really cute. I want one. It's really cute, you guys. <laughs> so uh, after she does that, she then does reiterate that she is better than Batgirl in every way, mm-hmm. and that Batman should really recognize that. And Dick's still like, what is she talking about? Why does she keep bringing up Batgirl so much? That doesn't make any sense. And then we actually do see the elusive Batgirl at her day job, where she is the library's boss lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love that. She has some really interesting um, superpowers that are exhibited in this scene. She not only has a photographic memory, but she can also absorb visual and auditory stimulus at the same time. So she can read a book and listen to the radio. Yeah. And 
It'll both sink in. And get both. I can't even listen to music with lyrics while reading and writing. I cannot <laughs> do that. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's quite a superpower to actually have. And it the is. photographic memory thing, I'm pretty sure uh, they say Batman has in mm-hmm. other comics, too. Yeah. So that's something that they share. That's like an easy thing for detectives to just be like, yep, that's what I, that's what I got. That's, that's why I'm so good. Yeah, that's how I'm so good at this. Yep. Um, I want to know why all of Gotham's criminals need to be so on brand. I guess that's just kind of like their thing. Well, okay. So the, the whole thing is that she's like looking through the crimes that Catwoman has busted mm-hmm. recently. Because they haven't had anything to do with cats. But then she's like, but actually the they do have something to do with cats. Yeah. Which to me is, uh, it means that this comic is full of apophenia, a word mm-hmm. that I looked up, which is like the humans, the human mind's uh, tendency to look for patterns in things that don't actually have patterns. Mm. So, so a tendency to sort of equate things that don't have anything to do with each other. So I think that, you know, were this not a Batman comic, that Barbara would be jumping to conclusions by mm. looking up these like obscure words that have to do with the word cat and then whatever the crime was. Yeah. That was a quick return to Josh's fact corner right there. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but she does eventually find the connection to cats through a weird word, uh, pull a cat, which is a silk bandana or handkerchief. So it did have to do with cats. Um, and doing that, Barbara now knows what she has to do. Uh, she sneaks into the library's closet. No, no, no. Barbara's private closet it says okay she's got her own private closet (laughs) here in the library because now she knows where catwoman's gonna strike next um and she has a better transformation than superman ever could well the weird thing about it is they explain piece by piece how she's putting together her costume she Mm -hmm. turns her skirt into a cape it's reversible yeah but like she wasn't wearing that skirt in the previous panel she was it's orange in this and it's reversible and it's blue oh okay but she Mm -hmm. wasn't wearing the hat that they say she turns into a cowl she's okay there's a little continuity issue she's wearing a what I would say, oh, that's her glasses? Yeah, that's her glasses. Never mind. I thought that was like a beret. No, no, no. Okay. She's got something that rolls down to be a cowl. They say it's a beret. She's not wearing a beret. Um, she changes shoes because, yeah, she's wearing like little kitten heels in this scene and now she's wearing boots. Yeah. So they make it seem like it's really fast and flashy and like she already had her costume on, but she didn't. No, she didn't. She's changing clothes. She's yeah. changing at least a few clothes. Probably knocking over some boxes also. <laughs> Boxes full of books or or catalog cards. Yeah. Barbara's making a big mess of the Dewey Decimal System in her private closet. (laughs) Um, So she knows where she's going to strike. So she gets on her bat bike, which maybe is the coolest accessory we've seen so far. Yeah, definitely. I love it and I want one so bad. Better than those bat whirly birds from the last comic we read. Yeah, it's a very cool motorcycle and it's got like these... Just big, like, bat decals on the side. Probably the closest thing to, like, any modern gadgetry that the that Batman has. Mm-hmm. She looks like Huntress. I love it. That's yeah, true, yeah. <laughs> so she shows up at where Catwoman is at this wax museum because she figured out that she would be there at something called a cataflac, which is another word for, like, a wax sculpture thing. Uh, and also there's a bunch of jewels in it. There's mm. so many weird times where they're like, ah, yeah, the criminals are going to show up here because, like, there's going to be a bunch of unguarded jewels. And it's like, okay, why doesn't that place get security guards? Yeah, why are they unguarded? I don't know. I guess maybe the unwritten thing is that, like, there were security guards, but they were buffoons. They got knocked out in two seconds, which probably happens. Maybe, maybe. Uh, this this panel, the next one, I do believe, says something about female tempers. Yes, their female tempers are bound to flare when <laughs> when two women who women who like the same man, or maybe just even like know the same man, <laughs> get together. Tempers are sure to flare if both are unmarried. That's just that's just that's just lady math for you right there. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> That'll happen. You know, you know, what I'm talking about ladies. <laughs> you ever be in a room with a, another girl and a man? It's a mess. It's a big mess ridiculous so Batgirl suddenly sucks at fighting uh she starts fighting these goons but all of her punches and kicks and everything misses she can't get a handle on herself she gets her butt completely whooped but and I then did, like, Catwoman handily takes care of these 
thugs and tells Barbara that she's uh, made a mishmash of this. I do also like in a previous panel, they called her the Domino Dare doll. Like, that's cool. Ooh. Bring that back. It's like Batman's the masked manhunter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Robin also gets referred to in this comic as the Teen Titan. The Teen Titan. The Domino Dare doll. Uh, so, yeah, Catwoman just like completely makes Batgirl look like a fool. She even, when Batman and Robin show up, she makes, she forces Batgirl to, like, admit to Batman and Robin, like, how much she sucks and how much she would have <laughs> they, like, been dead if it wasn't for Catwoman. They, like, meet up at the police station and Catwoman is like, do you have something to tell Batman? Yikes. <laughs> so rude, honestly. What happened to women supporting women? I hate it. Mm. So, uh, the next day, uh, Bruce is spying on Selena, where she's giving a book signing. You can't really tell, like, what the book is called or what it's about. I'm gonna just assume it's, like, a memoir of her reformation from the evil Catwoman to the now-look Catwoman. (laughs) I would hope. Apparently it's a bestseller. Mm -hmm. That's what Barbara tells us. Yeah. The place is packed. Everyone wants a piece of her. I love it. Batman approaches her and is like, hey, Selena, I would love for you to come to my banquet. Uh, And she's like, no, I'm too busy. Um, And then she... Well, she says she's too busy because she is looking for Batman. But she says it out loud. Mm -hmm. And Bruce Wayne sort of thinks to himself, like, ooh, if only she knew that she were talking to Batman. Yeah. Um, But she then later, when they're both in costume, admits to Batman that she's only doing this so that he will put a ring on it and marry her. Really? Which is like, you know, save a man, save a man's life once and fight off a few crooks and you expect him to fall in love with you Mm -hmm. and and like ask to propose. This is the first time they've talked to each other. I mean, she's fought him in the past, but she's like, hey, listen, I'm good. I'm hot. You're not getting any younger. You should love me and also marry me. I've been out of the comics for 12 years. It's been two weeks that I've been fighting crooks and you haven't proposed yet. It's You know what? Batman's standards are too high. He says he's quite satisfied with the way things are right now. And Catwoman says um, he may be satisfied, but I'm not. So Catwoman wants Batman to satisfy her. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, she says that she'll do something where she'll propose and he can't resist. They all meet up at this house where a crime is taking place that they all somehow knew it was going to take place there because it does have to do with duck cats or duckets as it's actually pronounced. Properly pronounced. (laughs) Properly pronounced. Um, of course, unguarded pile of cash. Uh, so they all rush in. They're all trying to fight the bad guys, but we learn it was an inside job. Catwoman has figured out that uh, the reason that she wasn't able to fight the bad guys was because Cat... No, Bat Girl. Bat Girl <laughs> wasn't able to fight the bad guys because Catwoman was manipulating the reflection of the light with her cat of nine tails. No, with her necklace that she was wearing. Yeah? Yeah. And then, so Catwoman, during this brawl that they're supposed oh, to be yeah. having... yeah, it is her necklace. During this brawl that they're supposed to be having with the bad guys, Catwoman comes up behind Batman and knocks him out. Mm, and then the, the the bad guy, the other bad guys beside Catwoman quickly take care of Batgirl and Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, so this actually answers a lot of questions that we've had previously in the comic. Like, how did Catwoman know they were going to be there? Um, and, like, why was she able to take them out so easily? And why the the powder that she used only worked on the bad guys? How much did she have to pay them to get them to have her actually beat them up when no one was around to see and pull a chandelier down on them? Well, also, my question was, how many of these guys did she employ and then turn over to the cops? Because we do see her... A couple of times, true. turning these guys over to the cops. Are the GCPD in on it too? <laughs> oh man, corrupt, corruption abound. Catch and release. You think they're doing? Oh, I mean, obviously that's what the GCPD does anyway. I mean, they only have so many cells, and there's so many supervillains. They don't have enough room for the Parker Brothers gang. <laughs> there's no way. They got Penguin and Mister Freeze and Joker and all of them. They got no room for them. They're small potatoes. Okay. And then, so she knocks them out, and then they get put in her cat-a-combs. Yeah. 
and she goes to take off uh, Batman's mask because mm-hmm. she wants to see the face of her lover. Mm-hmm. But this is something that got hinted a little earlier. Uh, Batman has prepared uh, by painting his face. Mm-hmm. Cause you know when you see like you know okay you know when you like take your kid to like a carnival and they get their face painted to look like a tiger and then suddenly you can't find your kid they're anymore? unrecognizable just completely different childs they're <laughs> gone it's just like that it, it should be noted that he doesn't do full blackface it's just no. the parts of his face that would normally be covered by his cowl yes and Robin does the same thing so it's, it's really only like raccoon things around his eyes. Yes. I also want to, it's not blackface. He's not brown. He's used black paint on his face. Yeah. To make it look like a mask, which is odd. Also, uh, what's in his mask that his eyes are white? I mean, they never explain why Batman's eyes are white when he's got his cowl on. Uh, it's like a see-through fabric. Sure. It's like a white see-through. I mean, it's the same deal with Spider-Man. His eyes are white. Yeah. And he's got that costume. No, Spider-Man's eyes are black. I guess it depends. Anyway, so, sure. So you can, it's it's a weird look, because, like, he just looks like this handsome man with, like, his half of his face painted. Yeah, but, from his, from, like, his bottom of his nose up. Yeah. Why didn't he do the eyes, I wonder? Would it have looked weird on the, with the, with the white fabric, I guess? Maybe. Maybe. I who don't knows? know. Uh, who cares? Um, so she then sees that all of them have painted their faces um, so that she can't see who any of them are. Uh, and then she imprisons them, waits for them to wake up, uh, and she offers Batman an ultimatum. Either she becomes Mrs. Batman or she goes back to her life of crime. If Batman can just save one person, yeah, he will. Um... But it doesn't work. He said he rejects her handling. He gives a flat out no. Yeah. And then she goes, she's like, fine, whatever. I'll go rob the million dollar annual poker game Mm -hmm. between uh, what looks like a Shriner, a cowboy and a Persian royal. Yeah. And a lady. (laughs) And a woman. There's a woman at the table. And then just like a normal looking guy. Yeah. In a suit. So she goes, she steals their money, she, she comes steals back. Five million dollars. Yeah, one million for each of the five players. Mm-hmm. Again, why are they holding the and, and also fortuitous that this would happen on the exact day that she right? decided to capture Batman? I mean, something's always happening in Gotham. <laughs> Literally, everything is happening that could a, a crime occur. Mm-hmm. It's not a good place to live. Uh, so she goes back and she sees that um, Batgirl has escaped the trap. Uh, and she's baffled at how this has happened. Oh, because we actually skipped over where the trap was. So they're on this like little metal plate. Uh-huh. And uh, when they step off of it, like a horrible yowling meow comes through, which just makes their ears bleed. They can't even stand it. So they got to stay on the metal plate. Yeah, she explains it as something like it affects the nerves. So they can't stand it that way. You know, science. Science. Sure. Uh, but Batgirl manages to get off of it. Um, and they're, you know, escaping her trap and she wonders how, how are they able to, uh, escape from her trap and turn off the controls? And they give an extremely scientific, perfectly reasonable answer, uh, that Batgirl took one of her gloves and used it to hypnotize Batman because of course she did. Yeah. Cause it works the same as a regular pendulum and hypnotism, allows you to ignore pain. Mm-hmm. Batman says, just like a hypnotist can make someone f- not feel a pinprick or a lighter. <laughs> you would think that Batman, being such a logical thinker, being somebody who like understands how hypnotism works, would be one of those people who's like immune to being hypnotized. Well, it, it does show that he isn't immediately hypnotized, and they have to lull him into it by playing... By like- Purring at him. Purring, yeah, playing like low noises or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you've, you have uh, had an encounter with a hypnotist before, haven't terrible, you? A terrible encounter with a hypnotist, mm-hmm. yes. Where you weren't able to be hypnotized. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't say that it's completely bunk science because some of those people, I, I mean, they are like doing the stuff that, that is asked of them and, and like they're making fools of themselves on stage. So I can't see anybody actually doing that, you know, kind of under their own volition. Mm-hmm. Um, 
They hypnotists will tell you like nobody will do anything that they wouldn't normally do in their everyday life. It's just sort of like lowers your inhibitions, like alcohol does or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that kind of thing where it's like it, you can only get hypnotized if like you want to be hypnotized. Pretty like, much. If you're actively trying to resist it. The, yeah. The weirdest thing that I've ever seen hypnotists do, I think we saw this at the Ren Fair once, was that girl was hypnotized into just thinking that like a box was like way too heavy for her to lift. Yeah. But yeah. it was actually just like a completely empty box that was only like a pound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I don't. It's weird stuff that like physical manipulation. Unless she was a plant, and I've been fooled, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she was. I don't. Know. I bought that guy's like DVD, and he's like, it takes a long time to learn how to do it, and I don't know. I, it seems like what it does is it puts you in a, a dream state, so that you don't know what is real, and if you believe it hard enough, then it, it becomes real. Mm-hmm. Um, back when I was a very small child, uh, me and a couple of girls who I used to hang out with. Uh, one of them was like, I've learned how to hypnotize people. And all I really remember was she like, it took like half an hour, I felt like. But all it did was it just made me like feel like I was going to fall asleep. And Which is sort of half of it. A lot of times hypnotists will look for people who are kind of tired because uh, it's easier when somebody... That's me all the time now. <laughs> I'm extremely easy to hypnotize now. <laughs> They look for people who are already sort of like ready to get into that trance state. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Anyway. It is. So hypnosis is not real, but <laughs> Batman gets hypnotized. He's able to turn off the controls. I don't think it can prevent you from uh, feeling pain. No, probably not. And probably not good to ever test that either. No. Um, and then before the comic ends, really quickly, Catwoman calls out Batman and Batgirl's Jim and Pam-esque relationship, <laughs> saying that they can deny it all they want, but they are in love, and they should maybe explore those feelings. To which I say, no. No. I don't agree. <laughs> and then Catwoman gets put in jail. They apprehend her. Yeah. And that's the end of the comic. That's the end of the comic. Per comic book code regulations, mm-hmm. the villain always is, you know, served their justice. Mm-hmm. So I guess moral of the story is, you know, if you love a man and he seems to love somebody else, um, all you can do is be better than her at the thing that she does. Well, yeah, but stage it so that you're guaranteed yeah. to look good. But game the system if you if you have to. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to do what you can for love. It's the most precious thing in the world. <laughs> um, anything else we want to say about Catwoman before we wrap this up? I don't think so. You know, meow meow, live your life, <laughs> be good to each other. Go watch Batman Returns. Go watch Batman Returns. Go register to vote. Go request your ballot. Um, make sure you vote for those down ballot candidates as well. Make sure you vote for any of those questions that are on your ballot. Yeah, local All elections are more important because they directly affect, uh, you know, the, the things that happen in your county, in your city. Mm-hmm. Voting, okay, so like everything in the world feels really crazy. It feels like you have no control of anything that happens. Voting is truly the most impactful thing that you can do to like change the world. It's super important. So please go out and vote. And you can vote for Max Shrek, but <laughs> I would definitely uh, I would definitely tell you to not do that. <laughs> All right. This has been Batmates. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, our theme song was composed by Ben Dean. You can find him at uh, tinyurl.com slash Ben Dean. That's B-E-N-D-E-A-N-E. And our logo was created by Savannah Storm. You can find her stuff at art.by.savvys on Instagram. Um, And we love both of them very much. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. See ya.